if you ask anyone involved in health tech, what's the most long-standing, talked about, and difficult to solve issue facing the use of technology in healthcare today, there's a good chance that a lot of people will say interoperability. All of the different healthcare systems able to communicate with each other, all share patient data quickly and securely, giving patients, family members, carers, and healthcare professionals full access to medical records to enable better patient care and more efficient services. Interoperability was actually one of the first definitions on the glossary of the Talking Health Tech website as well, by the way. So we can all talk about interoperability, but if you know me and our style on Talking Health Tech, we're all about the doing. My guest today is Jeffrey Sayer from MedTech Global, and we're going to talk about the work they're doing right now, all about sharing healthcare data and records securely with third-party applications and lots more. Let's make it happen, Team Health Tech. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Jeffrey Sayer. He's a 20-year veteran of health IT across Australia and New Zealand. Jeffrey's had leadership roles in HCN, now medical director, HealthLink, Telstra Health, Tonic, and Clan William Group. Last year, he led the acquisition of MedTech Global with co-investment from Advent Partners, and he's now the CEO and Managing Director. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Really good. Thanks for coming in the studio. That's good. Across the ditch, across the dutch and everything. Yeah, yeah. So I took advantage of the travel bubble. I am Australian by national, and I've lived between Australia and New Zealand for about the last 10-odd years, 13-odd years. So, yeah, took advantage of one of the earlier flights. Nice. Oh, it's great to have you here. So are you just here visiting users of the platform, a bit of everything? A bit of everything. My family and my wife's family here in Australia. I haven't seen my business partners for well over 12 months face-to-face, so we'll do a bit of that. And we also have a presence here in Australia as well. So we are an Australian New Zealand company, technically we're an Australian company, it's the parent company, but a lot of the work we do is in New Zealand. But we do have a presence here in Australia that we're trying to expand. Excellent. Tell us a bit more about it then. For those that don't know MedTech Global, what is it, who's it for, what's it solve? MedTech's been around for a very long time. It started in New Zealand. It's probably 30 plus year old software company, which not that unusual these days for a PMS vendor. So we primarily serve the general practice space in New Zealand, classic patient practice management system. We have about 850 to 900 odd sites using our product in GP land. That's about 83, 85% of the market in New Zealand. It's held that position for a number of years now. But to be fair, it is being challenged and questioned in the marketplace, which is good for the marketplace as far as I'm concerned. Mm. But we've also have a presence here in Australia with 250 odd sites here in Australia. Australia is obviously a bigger beast and has some complexities that New Zealand doesn't. But as I always say, it's the same but different between the two countries. Having lived in both countries, I know both healthcare systems pretty well. There's similarities, but there's also differences for sure. Tell us more about yourself. What is your background? I started life as a psychologist in drug and alcohol, doing clinical research. I then got interested in epidemiology and primary care and general practice. I held an academic position at Sydney University, Department of General Practice, plug for those good guys and girls out there. I did a stint with New South Wales Health as an epidemiologist. And I realised that 
State health departments tended not to have that much interest in primary care. We're talking 25 years ago. And so I went back into academia and then got an opportunity at HCN around 2000 before the internet bubble burst. And I started a program there called the General Practice Research Network. So I founded that data business. But my interest at the time was more about how do doctors use software and how do you influence software. And so after a number of years being there, I got promoted to looking after product strategy. So one of my claims for fame or infamy, whichever way you want to look at it, how things have panned out was brought Medical Director 3 to market in 2004, 2005. You're that guy. I'm that guy. Sorry, people <laughs> out there. But I learned a lot in those days. I mean, in some ways, that's helped shape what I'm doing today. I then did a stint with HealthLink for 10 years, part of a management buyout about 2013. So I put my money where my mouth is, so to speak. Did that up until about 2016. And then I realised I needed to do something else with my life in HealthLink after 10 years. But in that period, I actually ran the vendor integration program for HealthLink for 10 years. And we grew that program from 30-odd organisations to 100 plus. And that was really, really, really interesting working with so many different software companies. And again, that probably helped shape what I'm doing today. Realised after 10 years I needed to do something else besides integration. So I did a stint with Telstra Health, Miss New Zealand, and I got a job with Tonic, which is a pharmacy, leading pharmacy business, software dispensary and retail business in New Zealand. So I moved to Christchurch. After a couple of years, it became apparent that what I was hired for, which was to go and buy software companies, was no longer the strategy. I won't go into too much detail while that changed, but let's say the ultimate shareholder got in trouble with authorities in the US, so they changed strategies, mm-hmm. not casting dispersions on clan William in any shape or form. And towards the end of September 2019, it became apparent that I needed to take control of my career and life, and I decided I'd have a crack at trying to buy MedTech. I had worked with people before, buying companies, growing companies, paying back sh- banks, increasing shareholder values, working with belligerent business partners, I'll let them identify themselves. They'll probably say I was belligerent too, so it's fair on both sides. Also, just the way that shareholding and stuff like that worked. So I was being approached that I'd get involved with equity, and so I found a partner to help find me a partner to buy MedTech, and it was a process. It was a competitive process, and we closed in June last year. So I basically came in on the Wednesday, I think, it was the 3rd of June, something to that date, and then by the Friday, I was running the business from the following week. Yeah, um, right. We bought the ownership out 100% collectively between me and Advent Partners, and we've been doing it since. Wow, good on you. How very, I was going to say Aussie, but Australian and Kiwi of you have a crack at buying a, <laughs> some medical software business. Yeah, and in fact, I rang up some friends to let them know because there wasn't public knowledge, obviously, and one of my friends, just, when I rang him, he started laughing at me. He said, why the F would you do that, Jeff? <laughs> Because MedTech had a real brand issue, and we knew that. I knew that. I've known that for a number of years. I've known Vino and the business for about 15 years. First, they started laughing at me, and then after a while, I went, actually, Jeff, this will be good. And I went, oh, I hope so. I hope so. We have a bit of a plan. We have a bit of a vision for where we want to take the business. So hopefully, he did stop laughing, <laughs> and he, I've just got an email today saying that they want to be a partner of ours. So clearly, we're on the right track there somewhere. Tell us a bit more about it then. You've not just acquired, but also your CEO, managing director, obviously very active in the day-to-day. What is that vision for primary care and medtech? If you think about primary care and general practice, you're working in an ecosystem. So in both countries, general practice is, is the gatekeeper to the rest of the 
the healthcare system. And most people start in general practice and most people end up in general practice. So you might go to GP, get referred out, but you come back. So for me, a lot of the challenge was is how do you focus on being the best PMS vendor while at the same time being able to work in that wider ecosystem? And I learned a lot from my previous adventures about what was right and what was wrong. And for me, I actually wanted to be the best PMS vendor I can be, but there was a lot of craziness going in and around the product outside with third-party applications that may or may not have had agreements with MedTech, backdoor hacks, whatever language you want to use. But for me, it was like, how do we create a way forward so that we can actually be what we want to be, which is the best we can be at PMS, being the best GP practice management, but the ability to play with others. And so for me, it was about saying, how do you help practices be professionally satisfying because being a GP is not the easiest gig in the world, but also we need them to be financially successful. Otherwise, they'll stop being a general practice. So we focused on probably three pillars in what we do in our PMS business, which is how do we be the best at customer servicing? How do we lead in innovation? And how do we lead in partnering? Because if you do that well within general practice, the argument is we will be more successful and I also wanted to do what I've tried to have done for about the previous 15 years, where I wanted to do some of the things that we're doing now, but it took me to go all in and buy a company to do what I thought was, I believe, the right thing to do. And I learned a lot about what not to do, to be honest, and I used to be one of the guys who said no to third-party apps, but we made the call. The funding partners knew the plan, and it's a very different plan to what anyone else has probably done in PMS space. And so we wanted to be open and transparent, but we had to give a way forward. You can't just say, it's all my system now, you can all get lost. It's like, okay, I appreciate you've been doing some stuff that's less than ideal, but how do we take you forward? But we are a practice patient management system first, but we wanted to create, as I said, it was a bit of the wild west in New Zealand around it and how it worked. And I argued that standards for 10 years at HealthLink while it can be annoying and slow, it actually allows you to scale. And that was a key thing for me is standards actually allow you to scale. And I think that's something that's lost, that people think, oh, standards are slow and it's going to limit me somehow because everyone can do something. No, no, it actually allows you to scale. And I think that was a key thing for us, that we were going to go all in on standards. When we talk to other practice management systems and just generally the vibe is that there's some similar themes here around practice management systems can't be everything to everyone and there are more and more applications and things that GPs and healthcare providers want to use and want to be able to integrate with their practice management system. So what is it that you're doing that's different to what else is happening within the market? I think the key thing for me was I spent time at HCM slash medical director in 2004, 2005 when I was running the product strategy. And in some sense, we were trying to pick winners. You're trying to say we're going to have preferred partnerships. And for me, I look at that and go, a lot of those, while they're successful, I'm sure they are, they actually limit you. And if we talk about the democratization of health information with consumers and the healthcare system, if you're trying to pick winners, you could pick the wrong ones. And so I get asked a lot about, oh, Jeff, can New Zealand support five patient portals? And I go, well, it's not up for me to decide, right? But if we can do this in a way that makes innovation cheaper and innovation easier to do, you may be able to do that and you can support the innovation. But I'd also argue that a lot of the partnering programs, they are proprietary in some sense because they're a custom-built 
approach to it and there's a real gatekeeper role onto it. I came to the conclusion, you've got to be all in and let your customers choose the winners in some sense. For me, it was more about how do you open it up and innovate, facilitate innovation as opposed to the proprietary methods. There's a barrier to innovate. There's a cost to innovate because you've got to write me a check before I'm going to pay for you and da-da-da-da. The way we do our program is we create it in a standards-based way that you don't give us any money until you actually start selling. So we're creating a whole infrastructure around that model that we expect to see innovation. And as, as your opening um, spiel talked about, people talked about interoperability for a long time and I was one of those guys, but I realized that I either had to be all in or not at all. So I wanted to build the program. I always wanted when I was outside of the med techs of the world in some ways, because I had to deal with PMS vendors for 10 years and I personally know a lot of them, I have a lot of admiration for them. But for me, I've taken a very different approach to say, you're either in or you're not. Yeah. And so we've gone all in. I've seen a bit about Alex or the acronym ALEX. Is that what that's all about? Yeah, so I used to work in HCN and we had a big organization, relatively big. I worked in an area that was in research and development and we had some really interesting things we're doing around decision support and how do you improve customer experience and patient journeys. But we couldn't get our own stuff built in our own company because we're trying to build a software for the four and a half thousand sites we used to have. So it's like, oh geez, if I had an API, we could do some niche stuff that would suit a couple of hundred practices. And so we started working on APIs in those days and Frank was still in HSN at the time. We started looking at how do you build APIs and I actually had started working on a patent and I pulled out the documentation recently to show my architects See, I was doing this 15 years ago. <laughs> for the record, it's not a total new idea. But for me, it was about how do you can do it in a way that if there's 200 odd sites who want to use something, why does it have to cost a squillion to do that? And it becomes cost ineffective. So one of our objectives is if you standardize things and you provide those resources around them, fires clearly where we're going and what we've implemented, it allows people to innovate on that, not an innovating on the proprietary way of getting data. Because there's a lot of money spent on how do you get the data before you build the application. So we're saying, we'll standardize all that. There's security, there's permissioning, there's all sorts of good premises in there. But we've taken away the cost of data acquisition almost. And that way people start competing on innovative workflows or patient journeys or whatever. Interesting. So if I was creating quite a bespoke or a specific application for a type of healthcare provider and it was really important that integration with practice management system like MedTech was critical as part of that kind of success of that software, then I would create an integration with you through the Alex standards. Is that how that works? Correct. They're not necessarily the Alex standards, they're the FHIR standards. So we've put together an implementation of FHIR and we've got implementation guides that currently reside within HL7 New Zealand. And we're using a standards-based approach because our argument is if we do a standards-based approach, and other countries and other geographies use the same standards, i.e. fire, you should be able to take that application into other markets. So our goal is to, we've got this live in New Zealand, some production status. There's four or five vendors racing to be first to market in May to get their applications out under the Alex platform. But we'll be putting Alex onto our few hundred sites here in Australia. And theoretically, all of my partners, which is well over 30 now, will be able to come into Australia. What's interesting in New Zealand is we've actually got a 
non-MedTech PMS vendor in my practice has agreed, well, they've approached us, can we be part of this too? We said, sure, why not? And so they're now part of it as well. So our goal in Australia is to see, can we get other PMS vendors who want to be part of this? Then all that innovation that's happening in New Zealand can go to Australia and vice versa. If you do some innovation in Australia against fire standards, theoretically, you can put your product into New Zealand. And I've already got interest in the UK and Ireland as well. So for us, it's about using the standards-based approach so that we can scale our business to support all these people who are interested in primary care without having to single-handedly have to deal with each one. So we're building sandboxes and documentation and you can go and play with it to your heart's content. We help a bit, but it's not as if a proprietary one-off, that's all you're ever going to get from me. So as we release fire resources, vendors can start to develop and expand what they're doing. It's an interesting concept around, you've got obviously different vendors who provide niche solutions that then integrate to a practice management system, but then the potential for other practice management systems to do things as well, like that true kind of concept around democratization and, and all that kind of stuff. Why is that important then for you to take on from MedTech in New Zealand? I would go back to it and hopefully time will tell I was right and I'm not wrong, but I can always be wrong. I'm sure I've been wrong in the past, but it's actually about allowing us to focus on what we want to be, which is the best we can be as a primary care patient management system. If we get rid of the noise and the distractions of what some of these proprietary stuff does, and the proprietary stuff makes you mean your QA load goes up and all these sorts of things go up. So if we have a standard, and that's part of the principles part, if we have a standards-based approach, we've decoupled the fact that if I'm going to release MedTech, I don't have to worry about all this stuff because it's actually almost independent upon the release cycle now. If you want to do a release for your new app, you don't have to wait for MedTech. You can do it. So... By decoupling it, it was a really powerful way to enable us to scale. Now, I'll openly admit that MedTech will use this API ourselves because we've put the API effectively, the functionality in the cloud. If you're on-premise or you're in the cloud, it will work, but we can actually start to use it to bring our own capabilities onto our own products. So we could reverse engineer components of our own product that would suit better in the cloud. Medication management might be a good example. We're not just outsourcing for everyone else to do. We can use it ourselves. On that topic ground, on-prem and cloud, it's always an interesting conversation. What's your view on how that's all tracking? Very expensive to build a true native <laughs> cloud offering, and I'm aware of the various cloud offerings out there. For me, I talk about it in the sense of what is it that people actually want from the cloud? And a lot of it is outsourcing your IT and your security and your redundancy and your backup and some of those components that you just can't do yourself. The box under the desk, yeah, it's not where practices need to go. And obviously what COVID showed, if you're used to a box under the desk and you physically have to be in the same room as the box, you're somewhat limited when you're told you can't go to work today. I talk about the notion of it's the functionality. Whether you need a HTML web browser, that's a whole different debate in my view. But people want functionality in the cloud. And there's certain functionalities like content update, communication, that runs better in the cloud. Having messenger clients on a desktop is silly. Having hubs and exchanges and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's a journey and I'm admiring some of the cloud offerings that are out there. And MedTech works on the cloud. You can have it on the cloud, you can have a premise. It's not native HTML web browsing in that sense, but by having it in the cloud, you open up access for those users. You can get improved mobility, you improve security, you improve performance, you improve scalability. So it makes a lot of sense. And we're encouraging our customers to go to the cloud in some shape with 
trusted providers. Yeah, interesting. It's funny that spectrum of changes to workflow versus on-prem to cloud. And so the further you push to pure cloud, the more it changes the workflow for a clinician, which then probably puts it out of out of interest for them. So it's working out where you fit on that to, to then be scalable. Yeah, it's functionality. No one rings up and says, can I have .NET with some JSON calls and oh, I want to have this mobility that's Android. They don't. They want functionality, they want workflows, right? They don't sit there and work that out. But they know they've got to have a trusted environment. If we look at the trend towards people at least getting it off premises so that because they realize they're in the general practice business they're not in the IT business and as we've seen it does make a lot of sense to give it to someone else who knows what they're doing and so back to Alex and the program and the interoperability stuff how's that all tracking you mentioned there's the 30 something partners and things starting to happen but we're moving from theoretical to practice now when we first started this we thought we'd get about five to ten partners and in so I thought, oh, I have five, ten partners, that should go all right. The reality is we've got 20-odd of sign, we've got 15 entertaining MOUs, and people said, yeah, how do you know this is the right thing to do? I said, well, feet are walking our way, so we're clearly doing something right. And the fact that we've now got partners developing in sand pits and work sandboxes, working at how they're going to take a legacy offering into the future, where before they were stuck. So we've got partners who are new to medtech, We've got partners who already were partners of MedTech, but they can see innovation that they probably couldn't do before because it was dependent upon MedTech releases it was limiting them. We've published and released appointment resources. We've also published and released our personal summary resources, which is IPS, which gives a lot of capabilities in those first instances. Over time, we'll release quite quickly inbox, task management, looking at medication, looking at billing, looking at, we'll just keep publishing it through. That will bring more partners through the process. But literally, we've we got three organisations a week talking to us about how to get involved. And I think the ability to scale this isn't actually the technology. We've built this to be a billion transactions a year capability from day one, working with Microsoft, Umbrella, Odin Health, Aura. I've got to give them my partners a plug, medical <laughs> IT advisors, because we deliberately you know, work with the best. Our scaling is just onboarding. How do you help people get into sandboxes that have never been in a sandbox before? It's a great journey. Exceeded all our expectations so far, generating a lot of interest, but four vendors who will be releasing new stuff in May, and there's about another 10 in the sandbox playing around with those resources, trying to work out how they want to use it, how they can do it. And for me, it actually is, I would argue, stimulating innovation, because so far they've spent nothing except their own time. We haven't charged them for anything that goes back to that basis of innovation. That if you make it easier to get into the innovation space, you will see innovation. There's more people innovating. We talked about the vision for the future long-term and all that, but what should we expect to see from MedTech over the next six to 12 months? The program will keep expanding. We've worked really hard in parallel working on our patient practice management software business. You'll start to see some innovation coming through that part of it. We've stabilized the product, got it for a platform to take it forward. You'll see us working more in around medication management. You'll see us working more around interoperability. You'll see us more working around supporting the different workflows that doctors want to do. And we're actually creating that focus in a controlled way on the core product to make it the best it can be. You'll see that people will be able to use our product with other things, which is quite new for some of our customers. And we've got people on our 32 product, which is legacy, and we're moving people to evolution. They've got more capabilities with evolution in its own right, but they can feel that 
they've got a journey as well to go with. So we're improving our confidence and trust in our customers. And I'm pretty confident we'll see some really good stuff come out of the innovation with our partners that lends itself to that MedTech is an innovative organisation. Big job taking on the innovation within healthcare, particularly primary care within an organisation that's been around for a while, but the vision sounds certainly appealing and one direction that we need to go, Jeff. So I do wish you all the best. I'm going to put the details of MedTech and the work you're doing with Alex and everything else in the show notes of this episode and on the MedTech Global listing on the Talking Health Tech website. Good luck with everything, Jeffrey, and thanks so much for joining. Thanks a lot, Peter. for listening to the show check out talkinghealthtech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the australian health tech industry also make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it now go make it happen (laughs) 